everybody, and welcome to the Fortress Comic News, episode 282.1. I am your only host this week, Chris, and I've been busy bringing you extra interviews this month. Um, it's been awesome. We've had so many people request to be on the show, and I want to bring as many as I can to all you wonderful people. So for this one, I have Mike Burton coming from the UK. Uh, who has an interesting story about growing up in the UK, being a comic book fan, and kind of his unique story in the UK growing up as a comic book fan, and uh, also talking about his book, who he is the artist for, called London Gothic. Loved talking to Mike. It was such a fun interview. It's one of those, I love those culture shock interviews where we get to talk to somebody who lives somewhere completely far away and different from the world that I grew up in, that Mike grew up in, and we get to kind of get a glimpse into what that was like. It's just always a blast. Uh, yeah, they're my favorite ones. <laughs> I had a great time with Mike, so I don't want to keep you too long from that, too long here while we wait for the interview, but let me do my plugs real quick and we'll jump right into it. So as you guys hopefully know already, you can follow me on Twitter at Fortress Chris. You can follow the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter. And you can go to FortressComicNews.com. Everything we do is right there on that website. All the shows, the podcasts, the videos, right there. It's awesome. Check it out. And uh, if you want to help support the show, remember the reviews on the podcast of your choice, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And uh, for the video version, like, subscribe, share, comment down below. And listen, if you want to uh, help grow the show more, share it. Uh, let your friends, your comic friends know that we're doing this work here. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it enough that you can recommend it to them. And that's always all appreciated. And the last thing is always Patreon at patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. So enough of my plugs and my gushing. Let's get to this interview with Mike. And I'll see you all here next time. All right, everybody, I got another very special guest for you all this week. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Burton. How are we doing today, Mike? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, always great to have uh, a guest from over the pond, over in uh, the UK. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of you on the show, so it's always a pleasure to get some people uh, from a different perspective in comics. But... Uh, as we usually start with our new time guests, let's start with your origin story. You know, what got you into comics? Um, what got you onto this path where you started creating them? Okay, so, well, uh, so just, I mean, from being really, really tiny, I just, I loved drawing. Like, I, I was always drawing. Um, just sat in front of the TV, I had like this little, little tiny table and chair that I just used to sit and just draw all, all day until, until I got a Sega Genesis and then I split my time 50-50 <laughs> um, but what really got me into it was my dad actually because my dad um, was a massive massive comic book geek like he he was um, he was part of the uh, the X-Men fan club back in the uh, 70s and 80s which was like a mail order fan club and they had a magazine and everything and he's still got them in fact I've inherited them so I've, like, I've got all of I've got all of the like fan club magazines where they used to write in and and the, um, so like growing up I had like 12 to 14,000 comic books in the house like I had um, 
you know, I could just every night I could be reading a different comic book. You know, it was an endless supply of them. So, and that's how I learned to draw just by copying them. You know, I got I got so into them. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of how I started. And also, strangely enough, like um, back in the so when my dad was eighteen, I think he was. He was eighteen. Um, in the uh, it must have been early eighties, I would think, or late seventies, early eighties. He actually did his own comic book with a with a friend. Um, they were calling they called them fanzines back in the day, and they were just photocopied, photocopied, stapled, and uh, mostly just mail order, you know. Um, and um, that's kind of what gave me the thought of oh, I could actually do my own comic book, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, so I remember doing and my very first comic book ever was. Um, I was in uh, junior school, so that would be like I was probably oh god, how old? How old? You? Maybe ten or eleven. Um, and I did this. I threw this comic book and photocopied at school and sold it at school for ten pence. You know, to to to, to anybody that'd buy it. You know, um, but it was awful. It was it was horrendous. But it was called uh, Super Squad. Um, <laughs> and uh there was like a shape-shifting character and oh and the best character in it um was uh sewage the toxic waste man uh which I'm, i was very proud of uh nice. not knowing what not knowing what those words really meant i kind of thought like you know like toxic avenger i kind of at that age i just thought sewage meant something like toxic or something like so yeah it was a guy that just fell into some sewage and then turned into a load of sewage so yeah so that's I mean, there's probably a story there. I don't know. <laughs> there's yeah. probably places in like New York City where that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, but yeah, Paul so that's, Hudson become a superhero. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that that didn't really take off that one surprisingly. But um, then I just sort of, um, you know, I'd always been doing. I went to uh, uh, to college um, and to to do uh, art and design. Um, and then um, I became uh, freelance, so I'd do like graphic design and illustration here and there. And then I ended up getting a job uh, working as a graphic designer. Uh, and then when the the lockdown sort of came in, I got made redundant, and then I went back to freelancing again, which is how I found Nick. Um, and uh, yeah, so then we started working on on uh, on London Gothic together. Yeah, and uh, Nick is the writer for London Gothic, correct? Writer and creator, yeah. So it's okay. yeah, it's all his, his ideas. I mean, we we work together on little bits, but like it's it's mostly just straight out of his warped mind that it comes from. So, <laughs> so I'd love before we get too far into London Gothic, I'd love to um, dig a little deeper into growing up in the UK with comics because as uh, someone from America, specifically New York and America, when we think of uh, UK comics, we think of 2000 AD, we think of Judge Dredd, um, we think of the the early eight and late 80s kind of British invasion of Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and these writers. Yeah. Um, but it seems like you had an upbringing that included kind of the American style superheroes. Um, so was that prevalent around you or were you kind of a unique case um, no, I, I think I think mostly that that sort of is the case. I don't, I don't really think. I mean, I mean maybe there are, but I, I don't really know about them. But 
I don't think in the UK we sort of differentiate that much between you know where where the books come from. If they, if they're American or or the British, it like um, I don't think there's anybody that's sort of like just into the British comics. I mean, I'm sure there are a few out there, but mostly I think I mean it's you know we get them all imported, so it's like I think it was maybe a bit bit different back in the day because I know that. Like when my dad was collecting, it was kind of um, when he was younger. It was kind of difficult to get hold of um, the original American cards. They would send um, they sent some over because uh, that's where you obviously get your, your pence copies, um, you know, on the on the market. It tends to be a bit cheaper, don't they? Because um, uh, when, you know, we really expensive comics. Um, people prefer the the sent copies because they're sort of the original. Um, mm. But so we did get them. But um, there was, I think it was selected books. We used to get. Um, what my dad very first started with comic books was it was a, a comic book called Mighty World of Marvel, and it was a British reprint. And what they would do is they'd put in a few different stories. They might have like Avengers you know, an Iron Man story in there, uh, maybe a Spider-Man story, and they'd collect them into sort of like a sort of an oversized version. Um, and they were like, they were bigger than A4. They were quite a large, like sort of like mm-hmm. this big sort of compilation of them. And, uh, and I think that's how a lot of people got exposed to them. But, and I think sort of like in the, it must have been in the early 80s, they just started importing all the, all the American uh, ones. So I think most comic book collectors in the UK are really big into the American comics and and probably a lot more so than actually into the UK comics. I think the UK comics are sort of more of a niche sort of thing over here as opposed to the American wow. comics. So, but, I mean, that could be just coloured by my history of it and the people that I've known, I suppose. But, yeah, for me, it was, yeah, it was all the superhero comics, really. And then as I got older, sort of, yeah, you say, like, I got into sort of Alan Moore and, you know, Neil Gaiman and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely big, big for American comics in the UK. And did did you have like so? We have stories. Um, this happened with me, um, and people much older than me as well. Where like you would get your books at the local grocery store or our market. Um, sometimes even the local gas station or something. There's even stories of like head shops where there was comics in the back. Um, you had to yeah. go through the section where all the the uh let's call them water pipes are and everything to get them like did you have direct like market stores like we do today or were you kind of having the same experience where there was a rack as you were getting your groceries yeah i think so yeah we did yeah so like in the supermarkets and stuff but i mean that's probably a little bit before my time really that was more sort of like like my dad used to get them from the news agents um and things like that but i think i like sort of Maybe in the maybe it started in the eighties, but I think in the early nineties that's when we started to have sort of dedicated comic book shops. But there were few and far between. There weren't many about. And what we used to have is, um, I don't know if you have anything equivalent um, in America. I'm not even sure if we still do them. To be honest, I probably do. But we used to have things called comic marts, which were like uh, just big, like they'd, they'd rent out a huge room um, at a university or somewhere like that, and then all like the sellers of comic books from around the country would all come and bring all of their wares and it'd be all you it was just i used to go with my dad and i used to just love it because i mean he used, to, he used to give me like five pound or something like that and i was i've been like eight eight years old and then for the whole day all we'd be doing is just searching through comics finding what we wanted and it, you, you know you go away with massive stacks of comic books of all like back issues and things like that so it used to be like an event you know 
people when when we used to go to one of these comic book marts. Um, but now now it's like we've got like Forbidden Planet and you know there's there's quite a few comic book shops. Unfortunately, I think some of them have taken a hit from like online purchasing and things now. So there's, there's not as many about now. But yeah, it's mo- mostly just dedicated uh, comic book shops now. Uh, you don't really tend to get them in news agents or anywhere like that anymore. But yeah, so those marts sound. I mean, I know you have Comic Cons as well over there. I thought Bubble is one of the biggest ones in the world still, but that sounds to me like a, a small Comic Con almost. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Nobody used to go dress up or, or anything like that, but it was kind yeah. of like that. But I, they used to find me really entertaining because um, I used to haggle. I used to haggle with them all. I used to be going around and like, uh, you know, there's a 50, 50 pence for a comic book. And I'm like, would you do, you know, I'm like really tiny kid. And I'm going, would you do me 40p on that? You know, and they're all just smirking and going like, yeah, yeah, go on then. <laughs> it was a bit of entertainment for them, I suppose. But um, yeah, these were really, really good. Yeah. And it sounds like you had uh, the UK's growth was the same as uh, the United States because it was like late 80s, early 90s where the shops started to pick up and even like around me we didn't have a local shop per se i think there was one in the city near me but um yeah. uh, being a someone who grew up in the country getting my parents caught the city to go buy comics would have been a herculean task so we just went to the local um grocery store and saw a rack of them i was like "Ooh, <laughs> captain america there we go <laughs> yeah yeah i think i just i never realized just how spoiled i was right then you know because you, you just grow up around it and it's just like uh, I just, I just didn't realize how spoiled I was. So, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think I, I was definitely spoiled growing up because of just, you know, how much access I had to all those comic books. You know, um, it was just uh, I could read something different every night, and uh, I, I, I had, um, I don't know if you got them in the in the states. I, I think you probably did, but um, Marvel did these um, big tomes called uh, Essentials, where they'd have the it's all the back issues, like black and white printed ones. And my dad used to get them so I could read them and not touch his really expensive comics that get damaged with a little kid touching them, you know? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I had access to all of that growing up. So uh, yeah, I was definitely spoiled in that sense. That's awesome. Yeah. I love those essentials. I got a bunch of those growing up because yeah, they're black and white, which just takes some out of it, but they were like, uh, 20 or 30 issues and it was like here in the states it was like 20 bucks which is nothing like that's yeah. like three comics uh, three or four comics sometimes and so growing up uh i would get some of those because my parents would be like oh these are cheap as opposed to getting them that thing he would read in an afternoon for 25 dollars <laughs> yeah 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 um you mentioned earlier that your your dad had created a comic too which i is I mean, I love I love indie creators today, but I have there's something about people doing it back then that there's something more to it because like they didn't have the internet, they didn't have all these things that we have. So to put themselves yeah. out there like that is, I don't know. There's like another layer to it. I guess is the best way I could put it. Do you still have that book, or does he still have that book? Yes, yes, I, uh, yeah. I still I still have it. In fact, I not only not only do I have the because he did he did two issues um and he actually had the artwork done for a third one he was the writer he was the writer on it mm-hmm. um and he uh, it was two store they had two separate stories um it was quite unique at the time actually because there was so the, the first story was about 
Um, oh, did you ever watch the film Star Kid? No. Okay, so it, was, it came out in like the late 90s, um, and we're sure that they read his comic book because it's literally the exact same story. And, and 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 when he's gonna when he's naming his himself like because he gets he basically gets this like alien armor suit thing and and he's looking at himself and he's coming up with names for himself and one of the names he comes up with is Star Kid and the and the, uh, there's like a, a robot on the ship and he says no a name's been picked for you it's Star Centaur but this film came out called Star Kid exactly the same story kid gets this but anyway um uh, but yeah so it had it had that that first story in, and then it had a um, a team uh, story um, that were there were uh, some mutants in it, um, and that was called Zero Squad. But the idea was the two stories would run uh, separately, and the the story of Star Center would be concluded in the third issue, and then basically because he'd had this like alien suit on him, he'd get like some residual superpowers from it, like it, it affected his physiology, and then he'd become a character in the second story. And it would become one full story then. So it's quite a unique idea for like, you know, for a fanzine in, in the in the early eighties. But yeah, it was it was it was difficult for him. But yeah, but the, the third issue never actually came out. But I've got the artwork for that as well. But it's really cool to look at because it even did like interviews with a local comic book shop owner and stuff like that. And they they, they did it by mail order. And uh, he's got yeah, he, he had like. Um, um, I think still got him. He had like a pile of like letters because people, when they'd send off for it and they'd send him the cash through through the post, um, they'd send a letter along with it saying, like, Oh, I really loved issue one. You know, I like this. And, uh, you know, so you get like almost like fan mail sort of thing. I think he's sold like maybe a couple of thousand copies, I think, of, of them. So it, it did all right, really. That's, for, for that's back, honestly that. impressive. That's impressive today, yeah. let alone back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it did, it did quite well. But I think, I think, because um, at the time, so at the time it was, um, we, we were having like an economic crisis in this country, and you, nobody could get a job. There were like three, three million unemployed people. And my dad had just come out of uh, school, um, and he just couldn't get a job. So he was, uh, you know, on on benefits, and he was getting like, you know, a couple, like fifteen pound a week or something like that to survive on. So when they were doing comic book, they just him and his friend just spent all their money on printing <laughs> just to do this comic book. And then I think he ended up getting a job, and it sort of like sort of they couldn't really do it anymore, like logistically. But um, yeah, it was. And of course, I I grew up, and then like with that in your mind, like oh my dad made a comic book. You're like you just it's sort of almost a natural thing. Oh, I could do my own, you know. And that's how I did the one at, at school. So it, yeah. It's only later on that I realize, yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's challenging yes. to do. So, it, excuse me, this is too personal a question, but is he still around today? Uh, no, I, so I lost my dad um, uh, during lockdown. So, oh. um, yeah, um, unfortunately, he was, uh, he'd been going through uh, quite a lot of things and uh, he ended up, uh, he took his own life during lockdown. So, but we didn't oh, know how much man. he was living. Yeah, I was I gonna th- say, I think if, if he was still, and maybe you could even do this. I mean, this is a super personal thing on your end, but I think it'd be really cool if you release re-release these today. Oh like, yeah, uh, yeah, that would be so cool. This is like a um, yeah, like a look back into. So they like, finally I, put I out the third issue, and like uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be cool. I mean, we actually spoke. We actually spoke about um, for for a long time. We were talking about me drawing 
um, us doing sort of like a sequel and then using those stories as like, totally updated. Because, I mean, you, you read them now and they're like, they're very much comic books of like back in the day. You know, they're quite, quite simple stories. got yeah. some cool ideas. But he talked a long time about, and he started actually writing a script for doing like a sequel, like this years later, and then using those comic books as like a history for the for the sequel sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it would be really cool to do it, just as like even just to preserve them somehow online, so people can see sort of like what what people were doing in the UK because there were other there were other fanzines like it, you know, and a lot of cool ideas came out of them, you know. It would be honestly like. A free idea for you here to do it like as a collect, like do all three as a collection, like never before seen the third issue and all that. And then, like, you know, down the line, be like, and now I'm going to do the the modern day reinvention of this in honor of my the father. That I that story alone would be so cool to get, and I'm yeah. sure he would love it. Like, oh, um, yeah, 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 I'm sure it would. Yeah, I mean, as well, like, because I mean, this this is like. This is like my my first real proper proper uh, work, you know. Like I've done bits and bobs, like of um, you know little little things here and there, short stories, things like that. But this is my first real one, and he and he, he never got to see it. But I, I just know he'd have, he'd have loved it. He'd have been you know he'd, he'd have been so proud that you know I was actually doing a comic book. He would have loved that. So, but yeah, that would be it. Would be cool to do that. Uh, right. I, I've got plans, proper possibly in the future, because he did. We spoke, I think he wrote the script for like sort of the first couple of issues and then, but we'd spoken in depth about the entire story arc. Um, so I know the story, so I could prob- probably do some sort of close approximation of, of what he would have actually done with it. So that would be cool to do, I think. That would be an amazing story. And I'm sure he's so happy somewhere that you're following in that same dream. So you, yeah. you, you just showed it. Uh, we've kind of been around it a little bit but the real reason you're here is to talk about this book that you your first book that you're uh, drawing which is london gothic so let's start with the elevator pitch like what is london gothic okay so uh london gothic is a, a horror action graphic novel uh it's set in victorian london um and the whole premise is that uh demons uh, exist in the world uh but there is a an order called the Tutori, and these uh, these are like very highly trained fighters and warriors that have descended from the uh, Knights Templar, and their job is to keep the demons at bay and keep people protected from you know from hell and all of these demons. And uh, on the opposite side of them is the Sinestra, and uh, they're um, all about power and uh, utilizing the the demons and and the the central focus is that the uh, tutori are protecting these holy relics which are the um uh the nails from the cross from when jesus was crucified and they they've uh, have residual power in them so the sinestra are hunting for them and the tutori are trying to stop them so that's a basic summary of uh, of uh, the setting in the world of london gothic yeah, and uh, always cool themes that I'm always attracted to. I mean, anything that has uh, a demon hunting, um, Christian mythology, that kind of stuff. Is always There's always some interest in there that I love. So I, I know you're not the writer, um, you're, you're the artist, but when doing this, uh, 
Well, first, how much like collaboration did you have in the story with um, the writer and creator of the book? Well, really, I think I think that yeah, it's, it's 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 sort of ninety percent Nick. The the story is like he had this he had this idea. He had the idea of all the characters uh, and what he wanted from it, um, and. So we collaborated. So we collaborated, uh, collaborated a little bit on little bits here and there, but for the most part, it's it's Nick's baby. Like right? yeah, um, I had to sort of fall into his sort of wavelength of how he perceived these characters and things like that. So we worked together on like designing the characters, and there was a another guy called Sean. He'd he'd done some initial sketches of a few of the characters and things like that. And we expanded upon that, but uh, yeah, the story it's. Uh, it's pretty much all Nick. I think uh, we collaborated. I mean, he'd never written a comic book before. Um, so um, I gave him some sort of tips on like formatting and, and things like that. And, um, you know, sort of uh, maybe some of the order of some of the scenes. But for the most part, yeah, the story is, uh, is yeah, it comes from Nick. Um, I'm not sure my mind's warped enough to come up with <laughs> quite that story, to be honest. So then I guess the, the better way to go is, I mean, what, attracted you to the story was it just that nick seemed like somebody who was going to get this done or did you really like fall in love with uh, his idea oh yeah i mean definitely i fell in love with it like i only a very brief when because he found me on um, a website called upwork which is like for you can find artists and, and designers and things for projects and um it was a very brief sort of pitch he said that it was set in victorian London. They're like, I love the Victorian period and uh, like the clothing and things like that. So, uh, but it 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 said, I said, oh, um, uh, I'm looking for someone to do sort of a panel, um, and he, he didn't want to really give anything away about the story. So he he said he wanted to do um, a panel of um, Jack the Ripper fighting um, fighting a demon. So, and Jack the Ripper's not in the story or anything, but that was just like to get sort of a similar sort of idea behind it. Um, and just from the brief sort of summary, I thought, yeah, Victorian London, horror, this thing sounds awesome. Like, I want this job. So instead of doing a panel, I did a whole page and made it into a little story um, where he's sort of fighting this demon. And then I think on the last panel, I had him sort of stab the demon. And then it was a close-up of the demon holding onto his face. And then the next panel, it was um, it was a woman saying thank you to him and it's like i don't know i just came up with this little story that oh maybe maybe jack ripper was going around and and really he's sort of you know he's these people are possessed or something you know just a, a yeah, good idea. guy the whole time <laughs> yeah i mean it's obviously you, i mean you know it's not really so but it was just yeah. something i don't know just something with a bit of a hook to it to uh sort of interest him and, and that that sort of got me the job and then we we started talking about it more and more and has it got more in depth? I mean, one of the things I love about it is that it draws from a lot of real myths and legends. Like, all the places are real. Um, and, like, some of the places in it. There's, so there's, um, there's a scene um, on uh, Paveglia Island um, in uh, it's just um, it's in Venice. Uh, and it was like a, a, a plague island. So it's where they, where they sent all the people that had the plague just to die. Um, and they, I think you're not allowed on the island. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, but um, they did some like testing of the soil, and they found that the soil was 50% human ash at this place. You know, wow. And so it's like, uh, it, but but it's like it's things like that. So there's a lot of loads of research that have gone into all the places um, and the characters as well. So like a lot of them are like myths 
real myths and legends from history kind of retooled and reimagined for the story. Um, but I think that's really cool because, like, when I was reading the script, I was like, oh, that's interesting name. Search it up, and then you're like, oh, this was a this is like a real folklore, you know, and it's got stuff behind it. So I, I love that, and I love how the world's so in depth. You know, there's so much to it. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what uh, drew me to it, and I thought I've just I've got to do this. So. <laughs> and did you guys originally decide to release it as a graphic novel? Because I know um, you have the is it 96 page graphic novel out right now. Yeah, is it ninety six or is it ninety two? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's, it's eighty eight pages. Yeah, I think it's eighty eight. Yeah, eighty eight pages of uh, of actual sequential art. But um, um, sorry, say again. What was your question? Sorry. I was, I was saying, did you was the original plan to release it just as a graphic novel, or did this get released in issues and you just recently collected it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was always we were always planning on uh, doing it as a graphic novel. Uh, originally, we were thinking of doing it uh, just black and white because um, uh, it's obviously. I mean, for one person, it's a lot of work to do it in mm-hmm. full color. Um, but when we started developing the characters um, and I started experimenting with like uh, some texturing and lighting and things like that, it just it seemed like it would be selling it short, you know, to do it in black and white. So uh, we, yeah, we decided to go for the full color. But it was always going to be, it was always going to be a graphic novel. Always going to be four parts. Um, it, there's a potential for the story to carry on afterwards if people like it. But yeah, it's um, it tells one succinct story over four chapters. So it was all planned out ahead of time. Yeah. So four chapters. This is the the nine whatever pages is. That's chapter one, correct? So you guys are That's planning right, on doing yeah. three more after this? That's right, yeah. Um, but they, they won't necessarily all be the same length. I mean, to be honest, it's looking like uh, chapter two will probably be a bit bigger, maybe another 10 pages. And I think the last chapter um, will probably be maybe 120 pages, 130. So um, it's going to be, I mean, it's sort of like cutting off at the right point you know, so, you know, seeing as, you know, we don't have to abide by like a set amount of pages or anything like that. So we just want to cut it. I suppose it's like when you see like shows on Netflix, you know, they, they don't have to stick to those rigid time frames, you know, and that yeah. can help. I think we're telling stories. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're all going to be quite, quite hefty. <laughs> <laughs> and when you originally published this uh, did you guys go through like a kickstarter indiegogo or something or are you doing it completely out of pocket so we did we did do a a, a kickstarter um i think we, we only put on for sort of like 1500 pound we ended up getting like about two grand um but i mean we're sort of we're fresh so and we're new so we're sort of building up yeah. our audience so we, we expected not to get too much but we just thought any amount we can get it'll help with the print, printing costs. Um, and you know and for the most part you know we just we want to get it out there to as many people as possible you know um and like for the actual prints we sort of we've like gone for really high quality sort of stuff like we're not too bothered about the profit margin really it's it's really just about you know getting it out there to as many people as possible and hopefully people like it you know we can keep going with it so and so you had their successful Kickstarter, and, and you're right. Like especially your first one, you're just trying to get your your feet underneath you. Um, the book's out now. Have you? I'm assuming you've started on volume two of this or chapter two. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm deep into chapter two now. I'm probably about a quarter away through chapter two, um, somewhere around there. Um, we've also potentially we've been talking about maybe bringing on another artist to do um, some origin stories, like um, to hold people over because it is quite a lot of work with full color and everything. Obviously, there's a reasonable amount of time between issues, so. Uh, we're thinking about maybe doing some sort of origin stories, uh, bringing out some sort of one shot sort of thing, because um, there's a lot of interesting characters in it, um, and it'd be nice to explore their backgrounds as well. Sometimes thematically too, um, bringing in a second artist to do like the origin stories can work out, like give it a different feel. Um, yeah, yeah. I see, I see it even in you know the mainstream stuff where they they'll say like we have two artists on this book and you know this artist does the the flashback sequences and it's like as somebody who's yeah. been around long enough i'm like okay an artist needed a break like it I, yeah. nothing wrong with it but yeah um so i mean currently you guys got the book out have you been going any have you guys been having any cons i don't know what the world's like over in the uk right now um are you having big events or anything like that yeah, yeah, the yeah conventions are on. Uh, we've got one uh, uh, booked in November, so we're going to one uh, in London in November, uh, and we're looking at doing a few others here and there. I'm actually there's actually one around my end that's coming up that I'm hoping to go to, but that's a very tiny one. But <laughs> uh, but I'll be at I'll be at the London one um, along with Nick, so um, hopefully we'll be able to meet some people there and uh, you know get get more more exposure to it um uh, but yeah well we're, we're trying to get into as many conventions as we can but it's, it's tough stuff getting in you know there's, uh, there's a lot of people not a lot of spaces really i think um, there's a lot of people that have been working during lockdown on the comic books haven't they because they've not had anything else to do so now everybody's at conventions trying to get them out there so it's all these fields i can't tell you the amount of people that i've consulted with about podcasts um yeah because they're like they got nothing to do they you know their jobs everything's shut down over here um their jobs laid them off or whatever and now it's like well i'm sitting around the house uh what if i try this thing i've been thinking about for years and now i finally have the time to do it like yeah it was lockdowns were a blessing and a curse um in many ways yeah. I, I think a lot of people explored the creativity through which was nice um yeah yeah so definitely that, yeah so yeah, so as I've said like a thousand times, the book's currently out. Um, where are you? Do you guys have a website or anything you're selling it on? Um, yeah. How are you getting it out to people? So it's on um, uh, london-gothic.co.uk. Uh, you can purchase it there. You can get the uh, there's a printed copy on there. There's the um, uh, signed printed copy as well, and there's also a digital version to, for uh, for download. Um, um, we're also on um, get, is it called Get Comics? We're, we're going, we're exploring the sort of like the more of a digital distribution, uh, like uh, comic. Uh, we're open to get on Comicsology as well, if possible. Uh, but at the minute, it's best for us to go to the website. You can get a PDF on there, and you can view it online or download it. Um, uh, there's obviously, you, you know, we've got international delivery, but it's really expensive at the minute. So it's. Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, um, there's that option as well for people. Um, yeah, that's where it's available from. 
And if people want to follow you and maybe even um, uh, Nick was the writer's name, correct? Nick Henry, that's right, yeah. Yeah, if, if my listeners wanted to follow you further, where's the best place to send them? Uh, well, I suppose um, the London Gothic uh, Twitter would probably be best. Uh, Instagram, uh, we're both just uh, we're London, at London Gothic on those. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I really need to start using it more because <laughs> I, I, I very rarely put anything on. Uh, I think I'm just at Mike Burton or Mike David Burton. I don't even know what it is. I'm not very good with the social media. I need to get better with it, really. I mean, as an artist, it's probably going to be helpful. But <laughs> yeah, but probably best just to follow London Gothic, really, because um, everything will be posted there. And um, it, even if we move on to something else after this, we'll still keep that active and uh, let people know about new future projects, uh, things like that. Social media is one of those things, man, that I, I use because we have to, and yeah. it helps grow Um an audience and everything, but there's days where I go in there and I see everybody mad about something. I'm just like, why are, why are we wasting our time? (laughs) There's so many nice things about life guys. Let's talk about the good things. Yeah. But uh, to everyone out there listening, um, remember you can always look in the show notes down below. I'll have the link to the London Gothic website. So you can check that out and make sure to follow Mike on social media as well as London Gothic on social media. So uh, you can follow the book further because the book does look, I haven't said this yet, but the book does look awesome. Um, I got to check it out. Art's awesome. The coloring's great. Uh, honestly, dude, your facial expressions throughout the book are my favorite part. It's something that's just so looked over in most comics. So I really was drawn to that when I read it. So everybody, yeah, go check the book out. It's awesome. And uh, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, maybe when Volume 2 is ready to hit Kickstarter or something, we can get you and uh, Nick on again sometime. That would be awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I've had a really good time.